This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle. This episode of Material is Your Business is powered by Sennheiser, the future of audio. Hi, my name is Jessica Schreiber. I'm the founder of Fab Scrap, and what I love about materials is keeping them from landfill. So the design creative industry, they have a textile waste problem. And if you're in any business and you're producing any textile waste, you might be subject to some laws and liabilities you don't know about. Well, we have someone here who's got the solution for where you should go and what to do. Coming up, we're going to talk about recycling initiatives, the power of proprietary fabrics, and why Project Runway really fueled her business. This is Material Is Your Business, a podcast covering the science, technology, and business of materials and manufacturing. Produced by Mouth Media Network. Powered by Sennheiser. Your hosts for this episode are Stephanie Benedetto and Samantha Cortez. Hey, Jessica. Hi. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. Um, so last year I founded Fab Scrap, which is a 501c3 nonprofit, and we provide textile recycling service to businesses in New York City. So businesses creating textile waste might be fashion brands, interior design brands, entertainment, like movies, uh, plays, TV shows being filmed here. Um, anything that's creating textile waste as a commercial entity, uh, we provide a recycling service for them. That's very kind of unique proposition and really goes across industries. How did you get into that and have that? Because it obviously takes a certain level of technical expertise. Yeah, very niche. Um, prior to starting FabScrap, I actually worked at New York City's Department of Sanitation. I was running the city's clothing recycling program. So we were putting bins in New York City apartment buildings so people could donate their clothing from home, hopefully so that we could increase the amount of clothing um, being reused and recycled instead of heading to landfill by making it more convenient to do so. Um, and in that position, a few designers started reaching out to me asking what to do with their commercial textile waste, which wasn't necessarily clothing. It was scraps of fabric, mock-up garments, samples, rolls that they weren't going to use. And the traditional nonprofit sector just wasn't the right fit. You don't really go to a thrift store looking for three yards of silk. Um, and so I pulled all those designers into a room and basically had a focus group. Like, what's the waste? How often are you creating it? How much? What's in it? Um, and that initial group sort of became where Fab Scrap was formed. Um, I realized what a problem it was that there really was no option for these companies to properly handle their textile waste. I love your concept. Thank you. And um, <laughs> it's actually very interesting because the concept is it's mostly gathering all the manufacturers and, and, and working collectively onto a program. And I think that that's what we need as a unity and in, into every aspect in fashion um, to sustain ourselves in, in, in the current models. Totally. So how easy was it to, to, to be able to get that group of manufacturers and how do you do in sense of the promotion and marketing for them to, to really approach you with yeah. that? Um, so there's there's a couple answers to that question. Um, first, I would say the working group when we were sort of just working through the problem was totally private. 
um, sort of like what's said in the room stays in the room. We're not going to be sharing brand information. I wanted the people who are participating all looking for a solution to be able to like clearly define what the problem was without any repercussions. Um, so that was part of it was like, this is going to stay in this room. We're just looking for a solution. Um, and what kept coming up in terms of like why that group was so important was that one individual company didn't have the time or the ability to really collect and sort and transport material on their own. Um, and even then for like, let alone even know where where to to transport it it and what what kind of camp it would need to be someone's full-time job and designers are so busy anyway, (laughs) like really don't want to mess with their trash. Um, and then it was also like an individual company or brand wouldn't meet industrial recycling minimums without having to store a lot of material. And so by sort of creating a central point where all the designers could send their material and have it processed and deal with the transportation and meet those industrial minimums much quicker because you're working with multiple brands, then the model really started to take shape. Um, Even now, I let brands choose whether or not I share that we work together. And I think that that's a big reason why like, I'm able to, we now work with over 80 brands. Why that's grown so quickly is because some brands are like, yes, sustainability, share, I'll share, this is so great. And some brands are like, we're kind of getting our toes wet. We don't really want to share yet. We want to see how this goes. Totally fine. I feel like I'm happy to know that green things are happening behind the scenes, even if they're not ready to share yet. So I really leave that up to them. And I think that that's been a huge selling point in getting brands to come on board. And for those that are willing to share, I know you have that great section on your website, Mm -hmm. Who's Fab? And it's everyone from like Mark Jacobs and Oscar de la Renta to Mara Hoffman. And, you know, the list is growing. So it is exciting to see those that really are willing to put their name out there and support these kinds of initiatives. Totally. So I wonder if you can walk us through a little bit the process. So what happens? I'm a brand. I've got this textile waste. And what do I do? How do I I reach out to you? And what happens? Yeah. So um, fill out a form on the website and we'll get back to you and just sort of ask, like, what's in your? waste? How much are you creating? Um, Sign the service agreements and then we give you fab scrap bags. And the fab scrap bags are really large reusable nylon bags. They come in brown and black. Um, Black bags are for anything proprietary. So another reason that this was an issue for brands is like, I don't want my logoed fabric to be reused. I need it to be somehow destroyed, um, hopefully in a green way. So black bags are for proprietary Uh, material that will only get destroyed and shredded and brown bags are for everything else so anything in a brown bag is eligible for reuse which is really great so we deliver the bags brands fill the bags with their textile waste when the bags are full they just call or email us and we send a truck to come pick it up Um, they don't have to deal with any of the transportation and when the truck is there to pick up the full bags we leave empty ones so you can keep going um And then we report back to every brand the weight of the material that we picked up and also how it was sorted. So brands are also not only getting the recycling service, but they're getting all of the data affiliated with that. That's amazing. So what can and can't they recycle? So right now we accept everything um, with the caveat, the only things going to landfill would be proprietary spandex and proprietary leather because those two things can't be shredded. If we get spandex or leather in the brown bag, it's not proprietary. We just hold it for reuse for as long as possible. I'm always shocked by what people will come in and take to like make with their projects. Um, So the only thing right now going to landfill is proprietary spandex and proprietary leather. Everything else will take, even zippers, yarns, trims. 
When I was in uh, Puebla, Mexico, I visited a recycling factory. And it was interesting how they put in the textiles and shredded it and took it apart. I actually did some videos in the factory. Do you transport this information, this these um, remaining textiles into the facilities where they shred them? And are they in the U.S.? Or how is, how is that? And then the other question would be, is there any textiles that can't be, it can't be torn apart and created into additional textiles? Sure. Um, so we are working right now with a shredder in New Jersey. So it's great. It's very local, particularly right now because we don't have huge volumes. Um, we just took our first year's worth of material to shred yesterday. Actually, So exciting. It was a very big day because a few of those bags were sorted on my couch when I was starting the business. <laughs> so to see it finally, like all head over there and like see the final end product was really exciting. And so it's local. It's in New Jersey. Um, they're shredding down the material to become insulation. We're also holding certain fibers for the potential growth of fiber to fiber technology. So we're holding 100% cotton. We're holding 100% wool and we're holding 100% poly. Um, just because I know there's developing tech in all three of those fiber categories. And I want to start sort of hoarding the stock now so that we can start to set up relationships with them. Um, but to your point, the only thing that can't be shredded into new material is the proprietary spandex and leather. Um, so that is what's going to landfill. And we try and keep it as close to home as possible. So that's why we're working with the shredder who's in New Jersey. Um, I think as we grow, because I have big plans for Fab Scrap, as we grow, um, I think finding all sorts, like the key to Fab Scrap is going to be not only from collecting from as many brands as possible, but getting the material to as many end sources as possible. I think we have so much coming in that sort of sharing the wealth is going to be important. Is there a particular reason why the spandex and leather can't be mutilated and, and converted yeah. into something? Um, it's a good question, and I asked that yesterday because what I had always heard is that when you shred the spandex, it melts and it gets all over the other fibers. But what they said yesterday was that actually when you're shredding spandex, it just sort of breaks and there's no fibers to pull out, which are then sort of what's um, heated and formed into the shoddy and into um mattress pads or carpet padding or insulation, but spandex just kind of breaks when it reaches that point and doesn't produce a fiber in the same way that other um, fabrics do. So you just said a magic word that I want us to understand a little bit, shoddy. So what happens to the stuff <laughs> that we're dropping off and what is this shoddy that's produced? Yeah. Um, shoddy, unfortunately, has such a shoddy name. <laughs> I like it. I'm down with it. So shoddy is basically like when you shred the fabric, it just becomes this low-grade fiber mix of whatever was put into the shredder. And it's not really formed into anything yet. It's just sort of like mulchy. Like if you think about the compost equivalent, this is just sort of like the loose mulch. It's been sort of broken down, um, but it's not formed into anything yet. And then what happens is it goes through multiple multiple different processes and it can become so many things um it's used in moving blankets it's used in car door insulation it's used in construction like wall insulation um i've seen it in furniture padding um i found this out yesterday insulation in the meal delivery boxes 
Um, I don't want to say any brand names, but you know, you order those dinners that you can cook yourself. Um, so it's even being used in that now. So it's really, it, the options for shoddy have, have really grown, which is great because we have more than enough textiles as feedstock. It's actually, um, very interesting. The whole concept of, of the mutilation and the first time I saw it in Puebla, it was, um, outstanding. It was, it but they were converting it into actual fiber to create fabrics. I mean, the fabrics had a, like a very coarse hand that were only used for like cleaning, cleaning towels or, or other, other type of materials that are not like nice and silky, but the whole synergy of the recycling and the whole thing, it was outstanding. It was just like, wow. This is great. But I think, possibilities. And we're getting yeah. the, tech, the technology better. I mean, it's clear we're seeing now a lot of these recycled and reused fibers and in, blended into more and more fibers that do become with a soft hand. And, you know, there's some really powerful companies that are, that are working on that. But I'm glad to hear that you're saving some of these materials that have this kind of potential. I mean, maybe you guys even would develop some of your own, uh, you know, I love that. custom. Obviously, it, it takes time and resources to <laughs> do. Um, so I want to understand a little bit um, in talking about the law, right? Because so I'm a brand and maybe I have this sustainable mission and I'm like, yes, I want to do this. I want to share this with my customers. I stand for it. But for those who don't, why should they care? I mean, you've made it very easy and you truly are kind of a one-stop shop for recycling made simple. But why, what's the additional benefit? I know the law is one of them as among others. Can you, can you touch on that a little bit? So yeah, compliance is a big benefit of using Fab Scrap service. This is a New York City law. Um, I'm not sure how it works in other cities where people manufacture or in other states. But in New York City, as a business, if 10% or more of your waste is textile material, you're required by law to recycle it. Any business? Any business. Um, So, I mean, if you think about it, that could potentially also include hotels, depending on what percentage of their waste is those sheets and beddings. And um, so any business where 10% or more of your waste is textile material, you're required by law to recycle it. I I don't know a lot of businesses who have done comprehensive waste characterization studies and know how their waste breaks down, which I would love to do. It would be so fascinating. Um, and so I think it's just businesses that assume like, okay, we're probably throwing out enough textiles um, to meet this requirement. Actually, starting August this year, August 2017, they've started to increase enforcement of commercial recycling. So this is was great timing for sort of Fab Scrap starting to uh, ramp up. And I think it's hard for businesses to comply with that because all businesses have private carting contracts. And so they're working with a private hauler who picks up their waste and brings it to wherever they bring it. And that can be sort of a black box and it takes a lot of digging and working with those contracts. Uh, Depending on the brand, that's a contract that's with the building. It's not even something the brand has signed. It's something that's part of their lease. And so digging back into building management and then into the waste hauler, it's a lot of time and energy. Um, And of the waste haulers, the private waste haulers that I know from my time at sanitation, there's 8590 in New York City. I would say seven or eight of them say that they take textiles. They don't say where they take those textiles to. They don't say what they do with those textiles. Mm -hmm. It's just listed as something that they pick up. 
Um, but it's a problem that there's no reporting requirements for these companies about where they're taking their waste or what's in the waste or where it came from. Um, so, yeah, I think this is a way to have some transparency in what you're throwing out and where it's going and that it's responsible and comply with, with the law. Not to mean to categorize, but how are you getting that Italian mom to report back to you? <laughs> <laughs> we'll be back soon, right after this. Check out Sennheiser's latest Bluetooth in-ear headphones, the HD1 Free. Premium materials and flawless craftsmanship combined with stunning Sennheiser sound all in one small and wireless package. And we're not kidding. This makes a great gift. Learn more at Sennheiser.com. And our listeners can get a 25% discount with the code MouthMediaSen at checkout. That's MouthMedia, S-E-N-N. You can find us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Material Biz Show. That's Material B-I-Z Show. And hear all of our episodes on MaterialIsYourBusiness.com and everywhere the best podcasts are found. Recycling in compliance with the laws and that it's now a laws on, on the books that is being enforced for businesses if they're producing textile waste that they need to recycle it. Uh, Jessica, are there other reasons beyond that why I as a business sh- should care and, and should get involved and use your services? Totally. Um, I think a, a big one is, like I mentioned before, the data and just having that information uh, as you work towards any sustainability goals or to any kind of transparency. I think initially it can just be a baseline. Like we'll be able to tell you how much we're picking up, um, how much of it was paper, how much of it was able to be shredded, how much was able to be reused, and what those percentages look like if anything went to landfill and why. And it's really a good benchmark as you start to develop sustainability goals. Maybe you see that like you sent more to landfill than you were hoping to because it contains spandex. And so you start to move away from spandex or maybe you find a mill or work with a mill to send less paper with all of their fabric samples. So you're wasting less paper. I think that there's a lot of information to be gained. Um, In general, I don't think that that commercial textile waste data has ever been published or really studied. And so each individual brand will get their data report, but we're hoping to also cumulatively put out a data report on the industry waste that we're picking up and what it looks like and what that means for the industry. Um, Another reason that I sometimes cite is just the changing customer tastes. I know in the U.S. it's something like 48% of customers check tags now for sustainability info. And it doesn't even have to be necessarily recycled, but just like, where was this made? What's it made of? What is the corporate social responsibility related to this product? So I do think there's a little bit of a changing customer um, requirement almost for what they're buying. And you're seeing, too, with these big brands, they're all hiring these corporate directors of social responsibility. And bravo, that's fantastic. They get, But they get these mandates from corporate or from their investors that they need to either use or recycle a certain percentage and take on these initiatives. But even those directors, it, it's hard. They don't know all the options, nor, nor should they. There's so much new stuff coming out and where to go and what to do. And so it is challenging to navigate. But obviously, having resources like you can, can really help with that transparency and help them improve their 
business model for people, for planet, and for their profit, right? Right. Because this is affecting their bottom line. It will help them if they're cutting their emissions and their toxins and their wastewater and recycling. I mean, this this improves their business model. Right. Um, so it, it seems to me uh, obvi- an obvious win-win. And in terms of the the good for planet part, um, every pound of production waste that we recycle saves two pounds of greenhouse gases. So just think like when you get those reports and you see that you've recycled 2,000 pounds this year, you're really keeping 4,000 pounds of greenhouse gas emissions from the atmosphere. So you're sort of like, it's like corporate matching almost for greenhouse gas savings. Um, so there is also just like to go totally nerdy and like the climate change realm, there is an impact there too. That we've seen the drastic changes in earth in the past few weeks. Right. Well, I want to take a little direction, different direction. If you had a wish list, as in your the the nonprofit is running the way you want it and and, and it's and it's moving along. If you had a desired equipment to make to make it more sustainable or to really bring back manufacturing would be something that you would consider would you what is your thoughts on that yeah I always say like knowing what I know now if I could go back in school and become a mechanical engineer I would because I just see such a need for certain things um first would be mechanized sorting of fabric both residential waste and commercial waste textiles are sorted by hand and it's so inefficient and very costly and time consuming. Um, and so to be, you have volunteers doing that right now, right right? now we work with volunteers. Um, we should do a plug for volunteers later because anyone who volunteers with us gets some good perks. Um, so we have volunteer help to sort through our fabric and, it would be really great if that was mechanized so that we could, that's our biggest bottleneck right now is we get so much fabric in and sorting through it all takes time. And so mechanized sorting, being able to just sort of like the way that it works for plastic where you shine a laser through it, puffs of air, blow it into the appropriate category. Mm -hmm. I feel like this should be really similar. You sort of put in what your parameters are. There's some sort of scanner that happens, can read the fiber contents and sort according to whatever you've asked it to sort for. That would dramatically change not only my recycling system, but really the sorting system of like the entire textile recycling world, commercial and and residential. And the breaking of the material and converting into other into other products. What 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 type of direction you would take on that angle? Yeah, I think there's really exciting tech happening um, on certain fibers for like fiber to fiber recycling, where they're breaking down cotton and respinning it, and it's becoming this new fiber, totally recycled, all cellulose. Um, I think if I could have a wish list of anything, it would be that something like that existed for spandex. Spandex is really just like the contaminant of the textile world. And it's hard because so many people, you need a bit of stretch uh, or everything in your clothing and swimwear and and to not have a good alternative. And I know they can't even recycle, like, even if you only have 5%, right? It is a no-go. Yeah, we're sorting out even 1% when we take it to shred. We're sorting out. If it has any spandex at all, we're taking it out. So... People out there, let's work on some solutions for spandex because I know we get those requests if all the time. Could recycle spandex? That's like the next billion dollar idea. <laughs> or find something that would that would create that stretch as spandex, as those um, 
engineers out there that are looking for new textiles, finding yeah. something that will work as similar to it, but that is recyclable. So I want to go back to those proprietary fabrics with those special prints, because I have a bone to pick with the creative industry. I've been to your incredible warehouse space and I've seen the most gorgeous fabrics still on rolls, but because they have a print and have been deemed proprietary, um, they can't be reused in any way. And, you know, it's hard because on the one hand, you understand and respect that people have worked hard to develop these prints and that it's part of their brand. But on the other hand, their clothes are out there and people have seen the prints, you're wearing them. So in what way is the, that is the selling of the fabric going to take away from that? So I wonder your thoughts on that and how we can do it better. Yeah. Oh, man. And it's it's really devastating sometimes when these roles come in and they're beautiful and they're marked proprietary. And I know I just have to shred them. Um, I think the first thing that we're doing is we've sort of changed our pricing a little bit to really ask brands to like evaluate how proprietary this material is. And so there's now a price difference between proprietary material and non-proprietary. And I'm hoping that like if someone, I love that. if somebody has to pay a little bit more for straight shredding, then they'll really consider like, is this absolutely proprietary? Obviously, if there's logos printed all over it, it's got to be shredded. But some patterns, I agree. I think um, particularly I have some proprietary denim right now that I'm like, this is really just denim. Somebody can make something from this and never know where it comes from. And so we're sort of encouraging people to evaluate that a little bit more stringently by changing the pricing. I also think that there should be, like I would be happy to do this if it was a proprietary role and somebody's worried about someone making a huge run of items with that same fabric, I'd be happy to say like, Max, you can buy of this role is three yards. And that would ensure you only get one piece made from this fabric. And, and like you're saying, somebody could have just gotten that from a thrift store or from bought it new and reconstructed it. And so if they wanted to put sell maximums on their proprietary roles, I would be happy to comply with that. Yep. Makes sense to me. So building off of the proprietary nature of certain fabrics, how are you upcycling and reusing fabrics and or selling them? Yeah, so we have our warehouse in Jamaica, Queens, and volunteers come in to help us sort. The first way that we love to give out fabric is volunteers for their time helping to sort get five pounds of free fabric. Five pounds is a lot. <laughs> like depending on what you take, like five pounds of like a nice roll of silk could be like the whole roll. Um, so volunteers get five pounds of fabric just as a thank you for donating your time and helping us sort. Um, people can make appointments to just come in and shop at the warehouse and buy also buy the pound. Um, we just do $5 a pound. And so they can cut yards from rolls. They can buy some of the yardage zippers, buttons, whatever it is that they want. It's just buy the pound. Um, we also do a little bit of sell online just because not everybody's in New York City. It feels like it. What? <laughs> really? <laughs> At the center of the world? <laughs> so as a way to like share all of these beautiful fabrics in other parts of the country and the world, we sell on Queen of Raw. Um, soon we'll be launching a, a little bit of select fabrics on our own site. Um, should we ever reproduce fabric from the recycled shoddy or from recycled fibers, that would also be something that we would want to sell online. Um, really exciting, though, and where we're really putting a lot of energy is pop-up shops. So our warehouse is 
very far from the city. It's about an hour on the train. And so we're working out ways to bring fabric to people. And so we're doing pop-up shops at fashion schools and, and at markets. And those have been really successful um, just as a way to sort of reach a new audience and bring fabrics to them and allow them to see like what's available that would have gone to landfill. I think even just being present at events like that is an educational moment too, which is really cool. In that um, textile that you are planning to send to to reconstruct instead of sending them to cardboards, and would you strongly consider the aspect of? I know you have a factory in New Jersey that you work with that that destroys destroys or not destroys mutilates the mm-hmm. the textile to convert it into something. Would you consider in sense of doing your own textiles? And you kind of did briefly mention it in the in the in the statement that we talked about before, but. Um, how far would you be willing to travel or send these textiles to keep it in a sustainable way to convert it into textiles? Um, I think it would, I think it would depend what regions were working and what the, the life cycle impacts would look like when you're including shipping and, um, yeah, I, I would say for now it would probably have to stay U.S. also um, just for ease of use and I believe in creating jobs here. And is, no, but is there recycling locations here that turn around and mutilate the fabric to create it into fibers? Not that I know of. Not that you know of. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's mostly – it's either shred or they take it – on the residential side, they'll take fabric um, and clothing and ship it overseas. We have to change that. Yes. Yes. So I know when you started this business, you had a very exciting opportunity uh, to be on Project Runway (laughs) and that you won uh, some money and have some amazing people on your board. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. um, It actually aired last November. I pitched the idea for Fab Scrap on Project Runway Fashion Startup, which is sort of a spinoff. It's like their take on Shark Tank. Um, only for fashion companies. And at the time, Fab Scrap was really like just an idea. Um, I actually got my first bags like a day before we filmed. And so I was like, these are what the bags look like. I'm so excited <laughs> to have them on air. Um, so I pitched the idea to Fab Scrap to their panel. Um, and three of the four investors ended up um, not only making investments, I guess, but encouraging me to go nonprofit and to get my 501c3 status, in which case their investments weren't for equity. They were really just large seed donations to get FabScrap operations up and running. And so um, as a thank you, they're on the board. They've offered a lot of help and assistance. Um, it's Gary Wasner from the Hill Corp, Rebecca Minkoff, and Christine Hunsicker, who um, has a online clothing retailer, Gwenny B., that's great. What a great yeah opportunity and board. So what did that mean for your business and have that kind of advice and access to those minds as you're shaping your startup? I think um, really that experience was great because they asked me questions 
and it helped me realize what questions other brands were going to ask me as I started to really recruit people on board and like what would be important to them. Um, things that I didn't even think about before. And so just that experience, even filming had been really great. And then now having them on the board, um, obviously they know so many people in the industry. And so as I grow, it's really great to sort of reach out to them and be like, do you know somebody here who might be interested in fab scrap or how can we work together? Um, it's also really helpful just because they've been so successful at growing their own businesses to have um, that kind of advice look over my financial projections and my <laughs> my accounting since my background is in trash and not in fashion or entrepreneurship. Or yeah. <laughs> so I think I think it's been really great just to have some real experience behind me as I as I step out. Yep. And as you're looking at that kind of five to 10 year vision for Fab Scrap and for businesses out there who may not have a physical presence in New York City, but are starting to think about and look at recycling options, are there places for them to go? Will you be coming anywhere soon or in the future? What, what does it look like? Yeah. So, um, you know, I, it was like six months and I was like, let's do LA. <laughs> and, <laughs> and my board was like, hold on. We're like barely setting up ground here. <laughs> Um, That's but, the CEO founder vision. <laughs> Let's go to the moon. I'm like, I see it. Let's do it. Um, and there's just so much manufacturing happening happening in LA. And we probably like once a week get an email like, this is great. I'm in LA. What can I do? And so I think in the next like three to five years, I would love to, there, to have Fab Scrap as an option for people in LA. It would just require finding those same markets and recyclers mm -hmm. in the region. Um, past that, I'm really excited to explore how, you know, not the coast, but the middle of the country can get involved. And I'm hoping to be able to accept shipments of material um, just because I don't want somebody to not recycle because it's not easy for them um, or because it doesn't happen in their specific location. So working out how shipping of material might look and then processing and getting them their stats as well, making sure that that impact doesn't like negate any of the work that we're doing to that's keep material right. from yeah, landfill right um so yeah those are sort of like the the big plans i guess um a little nearer term i would love to have a retail shop in the city just because we're bringing in such beautiful stuff now um and really just giving these like secondhand fabrics a home and making it more accessible for people to get them how about if you thought of um collaborating with a um, retailer um, I've been sort of like daydreaming about it as I drive around the city doing pickups. And <laughs> because, yeah. I think it would be really cool to work with somebody who has a retail space right now and just do sort of like a corner that's secondhand that comes from yeah. Fab Scrap and we can explain what the Fab Scrap story is. You know, Absolutely. I think I think that would make a lot of sense and, and just expose us to a new audience. Um, it's hard because it's sort of going to be like what you see is what we have. We can't order additional roles. We right, can't this order is last limited but... edition runs. Yeah, a lot of the retailers and 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 um, I have a really close relationship with Mood Fabrics, and mm -hmm. they could probably see if I can put you guys together. That would be amazing because that way you could separate a section and 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 concentrate on that. And the designers understand. They understand that they're going to do this. Maybe the the schools they know that this is like more reasonable, but it's reasonable because they're not going to be able to repeat it. Right. Or they have to sub it. But creating that relationship, I think it would be really strong and, and it would be really good for them. I would I would love to do that. Fab Scrap coming to stores and cities <laughs> in the U.S. and around the world very soon. We'll be back right after this.
Welcome to the All Possibilities Podcast. I'm your host, Julie Chan, intuitive life purpose coach and founder of Being My Purpose. I had a successful career, an Ivy League education, and led a very rational life. Several years ago, I had a spiritual awakening, developed psychic gifts, and decided to dedicate my life to pursue my purpose and empower others. I'm hungry to learn even more about the incredible potential of the human mind and spirit. On this podcast, I talk to entrepreneurs, executives, scientists, and leaders to hear their stories of transformation, the science behind them, and what it means for you to unlock your potential in your life and career. Together, let's embark on a discovery of all possibilities. Episodes are available on iTunes, Google Play, and our website, allpossibilitiesshow.com. And now, it's Remnants. Remnants, that's right. Our fun personal questions, the good stuff left for the end. I have one. If you could sit down right now at dinner with a table of any people dead or alive, big thought leaders that you want to have at that table, who would it be and why? That's a really hard question because there's so many people who I would love to pick their brains, particularly now that I'm running a business and that's totally different world. Um, I think Bill McKibben, just for his work in the environmental world and his knowledge of sort of like building a movement, um, Bethany Frankel, just because I'm very impressed with what she's created. And um, obviously, I've watched all the Housewives. <laughs> yeah. I would I would love to talk to her um, and even just ask her, like, is Skinny Girl doing anything sustainable or like what her thoughts are on that? Because I know she does a lot of social yes. movements. Um, you know, I I would love to just have a nice chill dinner with the Obamas. <laughs> would never say no to that invite um yeah i mean i guess it's it's kind of a mix of of people cool does that yeah no that that is uh definitely good samantha going back i would say maybe to childhood what did you see yourself doing at that time did you ever think that you were going to be working in Trash nerding and and opening up a business. Um, Yeah, my family is full of doctors and engineers. It's all doctors, all engineers. Um, And so entrepreneurship was like not a thing that I was familiar with. It was sort of like get a job, have health insurance, like go to college. Um, So yeah, no, this was never really in my life plan. But it was sort of like when when I saw this problem that needed solving and I felt like I knew how to do it, it was sort of like, I, I'm going to try it. Um, and doctors are trying to help save people and you're trying to save the people and planet too in your way. You know what I think I got from the doctors and engineers is really just like that problem solving, that sort of like thinking through logistics, the very like systems thinking is all very important in trash and waste management and like logistically how we move things from one place to another and why we use what we do and why we don't. When I went to school, I was studying biology because I thought I'd be a doctor. Um, funny how much human things really gross me out and trash does not. 
<laughs> so I learned very quickly, like it wasn't going to be like the medical field for me, but I learned so much studying biology about like ecology and environmentalism, even psychology and sociology. It all felt wrapped up in um, science to me. And that's sort of where I think waste really was just like. It's interesting how your thing. life develops, <laughs> yeah. just like growing experiences and you're studying and like the way you just move your way around to your final destination. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Wild ride. <laughs> Can you give us a final thought, a moment of reflection, maybe on, on this interview, your career, personal, professional? Final thought. <laughs> um, I mean... I guess it's this is something that I think like applies to this interview and applies to like starting the business and the problem solving. It's when I first had the idea for Fab Scrap, I didn't want to tell anybody about it. Like I was very protective of the idea and I was like, well, maybe I'll tell like one or two people and see what they think, but only because they work in this industry and I trust them. And it, I was just so like nervous about it. And it was so interesting. The second that I sort of just like started telling everybody and I was like, here's what I'm thinking. Like, give me feedback or like, what do you know? Or like, Stephanie, that's how we met. Yes. Um, the second that I sort of was like, I'm going to do this and I have to start meeting people and I have to start talking about it. Like my business is a million times better just because people have experiences and knowledge that I would never have had I kept it all to myself and tried to do it all myself. And so I'm so happy to meet people working in the field and meet people working outside the field who are interested and can add something different. Like I, I feel really shocked almost about how I've been embraced in the fashion world because yeah, I came from trash, like <laughs> not necessarily fashion's like most glamorous partner, but there was such an overlap. And so I think final thought would just be like, I've, I've been really thrilled to, um, how nervous I was to network and how easy and fun it's been. Good message. I think that's so, so important in the industry. And everybody that gets into our industry thinks that they have the biggest idea, and they always do. But the, the, the interaction with other people that have experience in the industry could be make them extensively grow. In the spirit of partnerships and collaborations, for people who want to partner and or collaborate with you, how can they reach out and connect with you yes. on FabScrap? Um, you can sign up for recycling. You can make an appointment to shop. You can choose a volunteer date all on our website, which is www.fabscrap.org. Um, love having people follow on Instagram, which is at fab underscore scrap. Um, and then always like info at fabscrap.org will get shot to my team. I'm always happy to hear people's feedback and reactions, any potential collaborations, other nonprofits. I am always happy to give material for free. So reach out to me if you need any fabric for whatever reason. Ooh, magic word free. Thank you so much, <laughs> Jessica, for joining us. Thank you, guys. Thank you guys for listening. And for Samantha Cortez. Adios. I'm Stephanie Benedetto. Go change the world, everyone. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next time on Material Is Your Business. This has been Material Is Your Business. To suggest guests or content for the show or to become a sponsor, email us at podcast at materialisyourbusiness.com. Keep up with the show on social media at Material Biz Show. That's Material B-I-Z Show. 
Episodes available on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, along with our website, materialisyourbusiness.com. Produced by Mouth Media Network. Copyright 2017. All rights reserved. No portion of the episode may be distributed or published without the express written permission of the producers. Thank you for listening. This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle.